All right, good morning, church. It is good to be with you this Lord's Day. If you would, turn with me to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians, we're going to be looking at chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible uh, and you're using one of the Pew Bibles, uh, you can turn to page 964. Uh, My name is Eric Sams, as Pastor Brett mentioned earlier, and I am the assistant pastor of the academy. And I realize that there may be some of you in here that... uh, do not know me very well, or do not know me at all. Um, this is me, so I hopefully will meet you soon. Um, and and I was I was just thinking about um, why in the world should you listen to me if you don't know me uh, for thirty or forty minutes? And uh, thinking through uh, how our world really we look at qualifications a lot. I, I did realize that this is the first time I've, I've preached on Sunday morning here, and so I take it as an honor. I appreciate the elders and allowing me this, and specifically Pastor Perry. Um, and I was thinking about qualifications, the qualifications that we might have for different things. And in some ways, our culture is, is infatuated with qualifications, with, with awards, with certificates, with degrees, so on and, and so forth. But sometimes we go from, you know, applying these qualifications, and sometimes they're good things. You know, I, if I have a vehicle, and, and if I have anything with an engine, and I need somebody to help me, I'm going to trust Kelly Chapel in here with working on that. However, if I need dental work, although he is good with a drill, I'm not going to trust him to do dental work. We, we do think that some qualifications are good. We do. But sometimes we get to where we apply these qualifications in areas that um, could be bad or unnecessary or lead us to the wrong conclusions. We might look at a, a business, for example, and we say, because they're profitable, because they're doing well, then God must be blessing them or have favor on them. Or... We look at a, a church and, and they're gathering large crowds or there's a good offering or something and they're doing something right. Well, the formula that we end up developing is the absence of bad plus the presence of good equals God's affirmation. We, we informally, an unwritten rule that we develop. Well, Paul, Paul battled that in 2 Corinthians. Paul was battling against a group that looked to him and said, because you do not demonstrate this amazing rhetoric, this ma- amazing uh, oracle uh, skill, then God must not be with you in the way that you're describing or might not give you the authority that you claim to have. And not only that, but look what he's going through. The fact is that, that he has gone through sufferings. He's gone through trials. And they looked at him and said, see, he is a JV squad apostle. He's not to be taken with full authority. Well, in light of this, Paul brings 2 Corinthians. Now, we have two letters of 2 Corinthians, and um, some 
discussions about, there's, there's evidence that there could have been two more letters that Paul writes. So he, he writes a lot to the Corinthians. Not to mention that he spends time with them. So he, there's a sense in which he loves them, but man, they try him. But 2 Corinthians, he's laying it out there. This is, this is what the Christian walk looks like. And also, what are his qualifications for being able to speak with authority? Well, hopefully at this point, you've been able to arrive at 2 Corinthians chapter 1. And because this is the word of God and we are the people of God, gathered on the Lord's day, if you would rise for the reading of his word. I'm going to begin in verse 3, and I'm going to continue to verse 11. Paul writes, inspired by the Holy Spirit, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken. For we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experience in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God, who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer, so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord will remain forever. Go ahead and be seated. Let's Let's pray in light of this word. Father, I, I pray right now that you will be near to us in this time. God, I pray that as we look at your word, God, that your spirit would move amongst us to strengthen us, to comfort us, to encourage us, to praise your name, to love one another, and to speak truth to lost and dying world. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. My main point, if there was just one thing that I would, I would ask you to walk away from this time knowing, just one thing, it would be God comforts us, his saints, in suffering while also using it for our good and the good of others. I'm going to read that again. God comforts us, his saints, in suffering while also using it for our good and for the good of others. So I'm going to flesh this out. We're going to do 
three points. Some in football might call this a field goal. But we're going to do three points. Three points. Um, We're going to look at God is a source of all our comfort. An example of God's comfort. And the last part is just reflections for us to consider. And so I think this text breaks down into two points, but... Because Pastor Perry has left such an imprint on my life, we're going to have some reflections at the end, okay? All right. Well, let's dive in. This is going to cover verses 3 through 7. God is a source of all comfort. And I think this is pretty plain in the text. In fact, Paul, he begins with a common Jewish praise pattern. He he opens it up. In fact, in um, in our call to worship, in Ephesians, in verse 3, he uses the same pattern as we see here. And so it's, it's common. And he, as he is going from introducing himself to his readers to then going to the, the body, he skips what he does in 1 Corinthians and in many other letters. And he jumps Thanksgiving and just goes straight into it. I need to highlight what's going to come. And so I'm, I'm dealing with it right now. Who, what, what is the point of me writing a letter? And in fact, in Galatians, he does the same thing. He, he makes sure you know who's speaking, who's writing, and then he jumps over Thanksgiving and straight into it. And what is he dealing with in Galatians? He's contending for the gospel. He's contending to the thoughts of what does the gospel, how does it apply to our lives? I think in, in this passage that while the stakes are not as high, he is contending with the, the gospel. He is contending for the gospel in the way it should be understood. Here, he, he praises the character of God, God the Father. God deserves our praise because of who he is and because of what he has done. Amen? Because of who he is and what he has done. If he had done nothing, he still is worthy of our praise. But the fact is that God acts. So he is worthy of our praise. And it is not only that, but God is also the source of our comfort. So he starts out, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the God of mercies and the God of all comfort. And so God is the source of all our comfort. In fact, this word comfort is used 10 times in the passage that we read. 10 times he, he lays it out there. And so I think it's, it's important for us to define a word that is so commonly used in our text. And so comfort in our society, we use it in various ways. In fact, if you, sh- if you shop for a mattress you may consider the word comfort. You know, how much does it support me? Or was pillow? I went pillow shopping a few months ago and trying to figure out, like, I haven't shopped for a pillow in my adult life, so I was trying to figure out, okay, what, what should I look for in a pillow? I don't know. And at a store, it's weird. But comfort is not, that kind of comfort is not what's being used in this text. Instead, the comfort that he uses, the, the, the word that he's using instead comes across as encouragement that strengthens one to endure. An encouragement that strengthens one to endure. In fact, Paul uses this word many times. In Romans 15, verse 4, he uses it. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through, and this is the word, through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. So what is this encouragement doing? It is strengthening 
the believers in Rome. Through the scriptures, it's strengthening them. And the writer of Hebrews picks up the same word, and he's, he writes, so that by two unchangeable things, in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who f- have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. So this comfort or encouragement is for the purpose of strengthening. It is for the strengthening the believers. It is for strengthening God's body. And so David also writes, I was in a, a tough meeting a couple weeks ago and I asked to pray and, and Psalm 23 is what filled my mind. Paul writes in verse four, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, what do they do? They comfort me. The fact that his presence is there brings comfort to walk through that valley. And so what we're looking at is this comfort that strengthens us. So he's a source of our comfort. I want to make a side note, and Paul uses this phrase in Ephesians as well, like we read the call of worship. He said, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And some might use that as saying, well, this is Paul being confused about the divinity of Christ. Christ is not really God. And I don't think that at all. I think instead, I agree with many scholars that hold that he brings this up or he says it this way to highlight the humanity of Christ. Christ is truly God and truly human. And so here, We should not think that Paul has a lower Jesus, but instead, as we're going to look to a couple verses from here, that he is pointing out an aspect of Jesus' life that encourages us. Well, going on to sub-point two is one reason for affliction. And so we don't have all the reasons here, but we do have one. And so Paul goes on in verse four, he says that the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction. So Paul points out here that God's comfort in affliction allows us to show sympathetic comfort. I just want to take a highlight here. It says God is the God of all comfort, but it's not only that he's the God of all comfort, but he is the God that comforts. And this should be an encouragement to us that God is not like some kind of comfort warehouse that we've got to figure out how to get to. Not like a a Costco that has comfort. No, instead, he is a God of all comfort who applies that comfort to us. And that is encouragement to us. Well, here we see that God who comforts us is the one that because of that comfort, we can now extend. We receive comfort. One reason is to extend that comfort to others who are going through suffering. We receive comfort in order to extend that comfort to others who are going through suffering. Have you thought about that? 
in the midst of our sufferings, in the midst of our trials, thinking, you know what? One reason why I'm going through this is one day, one day, God will use this to be an encouragement, a strengthening point for somebody else. Well, that's what, that's what Paul's pointing out here, is one reason for affliction is just that. Amen. One commentary says this, sympathy is love perfected by experience. Sympathy is love perfected by experience. My wife and I were, were having a conversation with another parent, a friend, and uh, this parent has a, a child, and she, she was describing this child and the, the toddler days. And so some of you that might be parents uh, or, you know, now you might be grandparents. But those, those years of one to two years old when it just seems like a child sanctifies you in a way that you never thought you'd be sanctified before. <laughs> and as she was describing this child, it was almost like me and my wife could finish her sentence on what was going on. Like, she was describing it and boom, we were, were like, and this happened, Right? And our boys are a little older. We might see glimpses of those moments, but they're older. And we were able to encourage her to say simply, you know what? This son of ours was, was very similar. And just by that fact of saying, you know what? This is, how we, this is how we handled it. It wasn't the best. You probably could do it better. But this is how we handled it. And you know what? They're alive today, and we are too. And I hope that they're decent human beings. Just the speaking of that does not change the circumstance for this parent. But she walked away from that conversation, and she even said it before the conversation ended, this encourages me so much. Well, I didn't enter that conversation thinking, I'm going to encourage this parent right here. But because of the shared experience, we were able to speak from that experience what God had done and how God continues to work, and she left encouraged. That is what the body of Christ should look like. Our relationships with others who are from different backgrounds and different ages, younger and older, that where we can speak into one another's lives about, okay, this is how we've seen God be faithful in the past, and this is how he brought us through that, can encourage someone in the midst of that very moment. The fact is that we need each other to speak truth in the midst of suffering because suffering does so many times bring our view to so nearsighted of a vision where all we can see is that trial before us. When that voice from the outside would lift our eyes to where it belongs and that is to God who controls all things and the one of all comfort. Well, let us be a church that is pouring out into one another what also is being poured into us. Amen. Let us be ones who, as we experience trials, be ready with that same love and the same grace, the same comfort that's being poured into us, be ready to pour into others. I want to make a side note on that. Just because we have not experienced a certain trial does not mean that we cannot encourage one another in the midst of those trials. It doesn't mean that we can't offer a word of encouragement. And may we be those people. We may not know what to say. And what I would encourage 
you, uh, I, I need to be encouraged with this, is when I don't know what to say sometimes, putting an arm around and praying or saying, I, I'm, I'm with you. Or speaking the truth that I know God has put in his word. He, he will be with us. He is our comfort. Let's, let's praise him in the difficult times and let's pray him in the, praise him in the good times. But there are many trials in this room that are unique. But we need each other's encouragement, even in those times. So let's speak wisely and bear one another's burdens in love. Let's go to the next marker in this passage, verse 5. Verse 5, Paul, Paul's suffering marks his apostolic ministry. Um, Paul validates his qualifications as an apostle by the same ones that the, his opposition is using to discount him, discredit him. He's using those same ones to say, this is the stamp of God's approval on my life. He says, for as we, share, as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly and is in comfort too. Here, I, whenever teaching the Bible or having a Bible study, we need to pay attention to words. And I say that to my students and others that are with me, and you're like, well, that's, that's amazing, Eric. That, that's, that's great insight. Pay attention to words when you're reading them. That's great. But um, specifically in this passage, it's, it's nouns and verbs and specifically pronouns and where they point. And Paul sometimes switches um, where things are pointed, and he'll do it in like one verse. He does it right after our passage. Um, he'll, he'll speak in inclusive language, and then he'll speak of himself, and he's speaking in the exa- like about the same thing. Well, I believe that when he says the we in, in verse 5, for as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, I believe he's talking about him as one of the apostles. That, that he's not speaking of necessarily in the totality of Christianity, but as apostles. Now, I do think by connection, he speaks of us. But in this passage, it says, or in this verse, it says, we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings. Now, I would, I would think that in this room, I know that some of you all have gone through many sufferings and maybe many trials right now. However, it it would be difficult for some of us, or most of us, I would argue, for us to say we have abundantly shared in sufferings. But see, this is what marks Paul's ministry. It is, it is throughout. And as far as the other apostles, it was their life. In fact, he is describing this in Colossians chapter 1. He says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings, for your sake. And in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church. His status as of apostle was reinforced by the presence of suffering and affliction. It was not diminished. He is not a lesser apostle because of suffering. In fact, it validates it. In, in Philippians, he speaks of in the midst of suffering, in the midst of imprisonment, what is his attitude? He says, that I may know him, that is Christ, and the power of his resurrection, and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Paul's desire 
was to know Christ and to make him known, even to the point of him suffering in this life. And it's because of his suffering and the comfort that he gained that he was able to go through the fiery trials that he did and then to speak to the believers in Corinth and Philippi and Rome and Thessalonica and all through Galatia and comfort them. Well, at this point, he says, for as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. John Wesley makes this note on this passage. The sufferings were many. The comfort, one. Yet not only equal to, but overbalancing them all. John Wesley makes mention that the fact that you interject Christ and his comfort in this washes all the trials away. It doesn't make them less real, but it makes the hope in the midst of them all the more true. Well, in verse 6, we see suffering opens our eyes to our need for Christ and others. Verse 6, if we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Not only does Paul mention that, provi- that uh, affliction provides an opportunity for comfort. Instead, he says, or in addition, he says, it provides an opportunity for salvation. Y'all, y'all notice that? It says, he says here, if we, are com- or if we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. Now, we might, you know, cringe at that or wonder, Paul, what, what do you mean? Well, let me interject Richard Baxter, the great English Puritan, and he says this, suffering so unbolts the door of the heart that the word hath easier entrance. I think we can survey this room and the testimonies that we have. And when we saw Christ clearest may have been the moments that we went through trials the hardest. I think of the prophet Isaiah as he is sitting there in the temple wondering what is going to happen to Israel because the king who was good is dead and we haven't always had good kings. And he writes in Isaiah 6 that he saw the Lord on his throne and the train of his robe filled the temple. And in that encounter, God commissioned Isaiah In the book of Judges, what happens? The people of God forsake God. They do other things that are terrible. And then what happens? God sends judgment. And in the midst of that trial, in the midst of that suffering, they cry out to God and God sends a savior, lowercase s, a judge to deliver. Or the book of Job. Just if you're going through trials, I'd encourage you, Read through the book of Job and see how God cares for Job. At the end of Job's trials, as his friends have spoken to him, and I would say, don't be like Job's friends, but be like Job. 
they do great for the, the first little bit. They sit there in sackcloth and ashes, but then they start speaking and stuff bad happens. But coming to the end of Job, he writes, after God has revealed himself over and over, he says, I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. Through the trials, he sees God clearer. As one pastor said, it is when it's darkest that you can see the light of the stars all the more clearly. And so, maybe there's been a time of great trials in your life. Look to Christ. Look to Christ who can be seen clearly in the midst of that. Well, we looked at the fact that that God is worthy of our praise and there's a reason for affliction. And now let's look at our unshakable hope in verse 7. And we're still on the first point, by the way, okay? So we'll, we'll move quickly to the second point. But verse 7, he says, Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. I'm not sure what you're going through right now. If you find yourself in the midst of a trial or affliction, maybe, maybe you're having issues with raising a child. Maybe you have a teenager and they're, it's really difficult. Or maybe you desire to have children. And right now is a season which you don't know how that will be done. If your work situation is difficult, or if you're in search for work, or maybe you're retired or trying to figure out what that means in this stage of life. If you're experiencing a moment of sickness or a diagnosis of terminal disease, whatever be the case, if you're in Christ, press into this unshakable hope that is the God of our comfort. If you are here today and you do not know Christ, call upon the name of the Lord. He was stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. Isaiah 53 continues, He was pierced for our transgression. He was crushed for our iniquity. Upon him was a chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. Our sin is great and ever before us. And we are in a fallen world, and we are fallen human beings. Look to Christ, who was not only crucified, buried, dead, but risen and ascended for our salvation. Look to him. Our hope for you is not only that you would believe, but allow us to come alongside you. And so if you would say, I don't know Christ, but I, I want to call upon his name, I would, I would ask you to do so now. And then let us know if, as you leave. If you turn left and there's a room called the crossroads, there's going to be a pastor there. Talk to them. We would love to come alongside you because we need one another in this life. We need Christ, and through Christ, the comfort that comes from one another. Or, come talk to me, or somebody else around you. But I would, I would urge you to call upon the name of the Lord and trust in his name. Well, we've talked about the source of all comfort. Now let's turn to an example of God's comfort. This is verse 8 through 11. So the second main point, an example of God's comfort. I think Paul does us a favor here. 
he shows us how, in fact, he was despaired of life itself. And he provides us with another reason for affliction. He, another reason for affliction is found in this few verses. So, verse 8 and 9. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experience in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Now, we do not know the specifics of this. And you, you can read books about what is Paul referring to. Is it when he was stoned at Lystra? Is it when he was, you know, beaten or when he was hiding, when he was led out by the disciples um, under persecution? When was it in Asia that he was this way? Well, if it, if it was Lystra, and he doesn't mention it, and I think for good reason he doesn't, but he gets stoned he goes on to Derby, and then he comes back through Lystra, and he says these words to them. So this is maybe days after he got stoned. He might still have the bruises. He might still have broken bones. We don't know. But he says this in Acts 14. The Holy Spirit inspires Luke to record this. Strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith. That's bold. And saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of of God. I think it's for good reason why we don't have the specific instance. We could look at chapter 11, and I would encourage you maybe today, look at chapter 11. Could it be one of his beatings that he's speaking of? Could it be one of his, his imprisonments? Could it, would it, could it be one of the often times he was near death? Could it be one of the five times he received 39 lashes? Could it be one of the three times he was beaten with rods? Could it be one of the three times he was shipwrecked? Paul has plenty that could be... Um, associated with what he just now said. He's been under many tribula tribulations, many trials, many afflictions. But he doesn't focus on that. He doesn't focus on the details of that. Instead, he brings us in to what was going on in his soul. He says that the affliction we experienced, we were so utterly burdened beyond our our strength, that we despaired of life itself. The word he uses there, burden, is almost like the, the picture of a ship with too much cargo in it, and it is being almost enveloped by the ocean, by the water. And so he was like, we were burdened by the situation to where we thought we're done. Brothers and sisters, let us be genuine and sincere about what is going on within us, if, if we're in that situation like Paul is, Paul is writing to a people that he has met and that he has spent time with, but he is opening up to them. Look, this is, this is how it was for me. And he's letting them know. And I would encourage you, brothers and sisters, if you find yourself relating to verse 8, then share that with someone. A brother and sister in this room, a pastor, let us walk beside one another. Because he's wanting them to know, know, I have despaired of life itself. And we might think, well, you know, if you're a super Christian, you'll never have those moments. Well, Paul, I'll compare any of us to them. And we're probably coming out short. But in this world, this modern world, we have advances in technology and medicine. We have 
the availability of so much information. If you don't know something, if you're in a bond, then you can Google it, you can look on YouTube, you can do a number of things to figure out how can I get past what is pressing in on me right now. And we've become almost self-sufficient. We, we feel like we've got this. I know one or many times on the mission field that I've been in situations where the technology is not there, the answers are not readily available, the cure is far away. And in those moments, I found myself seeking the face of God all the more harder. And I would encourage us, in light of all the goodness, the common grace that we enjoy, is to not be numb to the fact of our need for God in these moments. So why do these things happen? Why is it that Paul is burdened to this point? Well, the affliction aimed their reliance on God and not on self. He continues in verse 9. He says, Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. And right here, it's like a courtroom. He's, he's speaking as if he is before the judge. And it's a definite sentence of death. And he's going there. But he says, But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God, who raises the dead. Paul tells us that this situation took him from self-reliance and pointed him to God. That's why he endured these. That's why trials happen. That's one reason. So one reason is so that we can comfort others. Another reason in this passage is for us to rely on God. Well, going to the second sub-point here, that the deliverer, will deliver one way or another. Looking at verses 10 and 11. God, or Paul mentions his situation. He says, he delivered us from such a deadly peril. So once again, Paul is talking about, he is thinking death is sure. Well, you know what? Right here, God delivered him. Well, we know that because he's writing this, okay? So, it's kind of like watching the Titanic and being surprised that the ship is going down. We know that right here, God delivered Paul from that deadly peril. Here he delivers him. And from this situation, he delivers him. And then he goes on and he says, not only did he deliver us in verse 10, read it with me. He said, he delivered us from such a deadly peril. So he delivered us, he will deliver us. And on him, we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. This is a pretty sure hope. He's saying, you can count on God. He's going to deliver you. He is a deliverer who delivers one way or another. And so here, how does that deliverance look like? Well, Paul is saved. Deadly peril, he lives. We know that from this point, we believe that, yes, he does come through and visit them. And then he goes to Jerusalem. And where he goes to Jerusalem, you know what happens? He gets beaten, and then he gets delivered. And he gets beaten, and then he gets delivered. Then he goes to Rome, or toward Rome. He gets shipwrecked, he gets delivered. We believe that at the end of Acts, that he's imprisoned, and he gets delivered. He goes on ministering through beatings, through persecution, through trials, 
through times of want. And then ultimately, we know that his life is taken at the hand of a Caesar. Was he delivered? Is Paul delivered? Does, he, does his confidence in God end because there was one day when, as tradition would hold, he was beheaded? I would say no. I would hope you do too. Paul's hope in God's deliverance was not based upon him remaining alive. God delivers. In that case, he had run the race that God had set before Paul. And then in his death, he delivers him to a joy that is unspeakable. Amen. Miss Blanca, sister, I love you. sister. Miss Blanca has seen me through good times and bad times and times where I've, you're, you are fine. Thank you. Um, she's a picture of pure joy and life. So sister, I'm, I'm thankful for you. God delivers. Even a high school boy who chooses to roll the room with toilet paper of a, a kind sister who testifies on a Sunday morning. Don't do that to those who are um, your elders, okay? All right. Love you, Blanca. Church, we may have a number of questions on why trials happen. Why, why do things come about? Why does this pain or this prognosis or this diagnosis or whatever it might be, why does the situation seem to be this such like this? The, the scriptures do not give us all the answers on that. I would I'd point us to the fact that we do live in a fallen world, but in the midst of trials, like Paul does at the beginning of this passage, I would encourage us to look to the character of God and look to, there are books on the attributes of God. I know that Pastor Tim has um, made mention of A.W. Pink's um, Attributes of God here. You can, you can look at a number of ones. I, I was thinking of um, the attribute of God's wisdom. It's one I, I reflect on and I meditate on. Wayne Grudem defines the wisdom of God as this. God always chooses the best goals yeah. and the best means to those goals. Yeah. I may not know why things come why things happen. But I do know who God is. In the midst of that, let me look intently on him. Lastly, in in this passage, verse 11, God uses means to deliver. God uses means to deliver. How do we see that? He mentions in verse 10, he says, 
He, that is God, delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. And on him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. Verse 11, you also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. Catch that. Paul is saying God's going to deliver us. God is going to bring that deliverance. He is the one that delivers. He's better than any postal, postal service. He delivers. But you must pray. And so God, and Paul here, inspired by the Holy Spirit, is calling the Corinthians, you've still got to pray. Pray. God uses means for deliverance. He uses means. And it's not only for delivering here. And the means here, prayer. But also, it's he uses other things. He uses all the things that we're going through and each other to provide that comfort. In fact, he's already told us that. He's already told us the fact that he comforts us through others. And so God is a source of that comfort and he uses you to comfort. So how does the application of the balm of healing happen? Through others. But where's the source? God. God who delivers. He's calling them to pray as well. Well, God is a source of all comfort He's given us an example of how God comforts in the situation that Paul had. Well, let's look at a few reflections in our time before we close. The first reflection is that I believe that we should have some application points. The, the first one being pray, which is the last one that he gives here. Pray corporately. So when we, we have prayer services, I would encourage you be there so that you can hear the prayers of others, so you can communicate what prayer needs you have. When Pastor Brett or Pastor Perry or, or whomever else gives the um, announcements at the beginning, we mention an, a way that you can share your prayer requests. And then our office sends out prayer requests to each other. Use that time to pray for one another. But we don't hear each other's prayers remotely. And so when, when we're gathered together in here, I would encourage you. But also... Pray individually. Like, do pray over that list. Do pray for those times when you hear of this is happening, to pray. You know, if after the service, somebody comes up to you and says, hey, this is, gonna, this is going on, take a moment, maybe one minute, and pray for that person, with that person. Pray formally and formally. Send a text message. Pray for your church family. Pray for your missionaries. If you, if you don't know the missionaries or local ministries that we support, then you can just go out this door, go down the first flight of steps, and there's, there's like a little platform, the missions mezzanine, and you can get some information. Pray for people that are ministering in this city and abroad. Also, be a part of missions. You might say, like, how, how do we get there from that? Verse 11, look at it. He says, but you must help us by prayer. Why? So that many will give thanks on our behalf. Yes. Our hope is for many more to give thanks. Amen. For more to worship. For more to call upon the name of the Lord. For more 
to look to Christ for salvation, that our God may be glorified in all nation, all nations, all tribes, all tongues. He will, but the means that he's called us to is for us to. And so I'd encourage you in that to be a part of missions. And that means local as well. But going to another culture where you sense that God stretches you. I was uh, communicating, I was messaging back and forth with a brother um, in Birmingham. God love his heart. I think he's a Bama fan. But <laughs> this was, this was pre-Saturday night, okay? But I was messaging a couple weeks ago, and um, he is a dear brother. And we were on mission field together for a short-term mission trip, and we were reflecting on a time when, when God was stretching us. We were, we were in a small van, and it seemed like the small van was getting more and more things in it, and we didn't know if we were going to get to our destination because um, we're in a third-world country. And we were reflecting on that. In times like these and many others, and you can talk to a number of people who have been in a mission field, God stretches. God brings us out of our comfort zone so that he would be that comfort. And so my encouragement to you is to be a part of missions. Thirdly is, is hope in God. He is our sure and faithful father. He is the God of all comfort. He does not leave us nor forsake us. He does not grow weary. Kevin DeYoung says this. He says, we don't know what the future holds, but we do know who holds the future. God will always lead us, always listen to us, and always love us in Christ and seek the comfort of others. Let us consider one another. Let us seek to comfort one another. And one of the best, if, if not the only authentic means of this comfort to be given or received is within a faith family, within a committed relationship following Christ. And so I'd encourage you, if, if you're like, you know what, we're not, we're not in a church then I would encourage you, hey, look for a church. And I would hope it'd be this one, but if there's another one, that you're called to walk alongside others. The fact is, I look out here, and there's not many reasons for some of us to gather together and have something in common other than Christ and how he's called us to this fellowship. And there are times when I probably get on your nerves, if you know me. And you know what? God has called you to love me. And there's not many times, but if there was one where you might bother me, you know what? God's called me to love you. And so in that, we are able to give and receive comfort. And so I would call you that. Listen to what Paul says to the Philippians as he's speaking to that church about how they should look at one another. He says in chapter two, verse four, he says, let, a, let each of you Look not only to his own interests, so look into your own interests, but also to the interests of others, to comfort one another, to love one another, to bear one another's burdens, as he says uh, to the Galatians. He says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ, Galatians 6, 2. Well, we serve a God who is the father of all comfort. We serve a God who not only is the God of all comfort, but who comforts. 
and that in our trials and our afflictions has equipped us to comfort others. I hope today that you look to God and follow passionately after him. The final one is if you're in the midst of afflictions, rest in God in the midst of afflictions. I hope you're encouraged by this word that you do not let your heart grow bitter in the midst of your trial and your tribulation because of the circumstances, but instead allow it to produce the fruit of patience and hope that endures in our Lord Jesus Christ in hopes that, you know what, later on you can encourage another brother or sister in the hope that he's given you, the comfort that he has given you. Our God is worthy. He is worthy to follow through sufferings. He is worthy to follow through good times. And so we're going to close by singing of his comfort. But let's pray as we, as we close. Father, you are good. You've been good to us. And Father, you have lavished us with all spiritual blessings through Christ. God, I, I pray that in this time that our eyes would be set on him. And God, you would strengthen our feet to stand. God, I do pray for those in our congregation who are suffering. God, this is a time of affliction, a time that is difficult. God, may you comfort through your Holy Spirit or through the words this morning of someone else. God, may you be seen as great, even in a dark time. God, I do pray that we would draw closer to Christ. I pray that if anybody here does not know you, God, that they would look to this passage and seek to know you, the God of all comfort, and praise your name. Thank you for this time. God be lifted high in this singing. It's in Christ's name. Amen.